Welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. We have a really interesting show. We have former congressman and presidential candidate Dennis Kucinich, who has a, a new book out that I think is, is really cool. It's uh, a lot different from what I expected and very, very interesting. And we're going to talk to him about that. And lots of crazy stuff happened in the news this week, beginning with the most important thing. Which is, of course, a useful idiot's bump. I think that is that in action again, I think. Yeah. 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 So we got I mean, thanks to useful idiots, uh, Crystal Ball and Sagar's uh, Breaking Points podcast was uh, among what was it? Where did it come in? It was number one. Now, I I don't want to take all the credit. They have a successful show. They had a lot of viewers. But I think we can all agree that without useful idiots, it would have been up there, maybe top five. But I don't think number one without us. I think, you know, it really That's got very down. generous of you. I thought you were going to say something like top 200. Oh, n- yeah, you're right. It is generous. I'm trying to be less, you know, I, honestly, obviously, I, I, I do think it probably pushed it up by a couple hundred um, places, <laughs> but I'm trying to appear more humble because I don't want to alienate people. I also don't want to scare people off to the power. I don't want the power that useful idiots has to like be too intimidating. So people, I people can it, be threatened by that. They can be threatened by that. Yeah. I, I mean, that's like the story of my life, basically, in so many ways. Um, got Interpersonally, it too. Right? Yeah, interpersonally. Yeah. Right. I it's get I get power of the aura. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, congrats to them. I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out why they 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 are so much higher than us. And I thought, Matt, maybe it's because you and I, we have we drink coffee on air and i'm not going to stop that but i think that may be the difference that, that we drink coffee on air yeah i think a lot of people can't handle that level of intimacy i'm actually drinking fresca oh i like fresca yeah um well we drink no matter what it is and i right. think that that people are triggered by that i think right. that's yeah should we I mean, should just stop doing that? any other other difference between the two shows so couldn't be the quality of the presentation, no. the set. The... No, 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 no. Their yeah. seamlessness, the you know, that's that's not that's not relevant. That's not right. here the, or there. The marketing acumen. Yeah, the I energy mean, I they put into it. I notice a different a difference between the sets. Like we have a very cable news. At first glance, you would <laughs> you you would think you were watching MSNBC. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah, yes, it's yeah. like the only difference being a pig or two behind my head and the drum set or two behind you but yeah so right right so yeah we may change things up you may be seeing we may we're gonna have to huddle a- after this you know because another thing we never do is like break the fourth wall so we can't do it now but afterwards we're gonna have to talk about the um imbibing right right but until then i'm really enjoying an iced coffee yeah yeah well we'll just we'll just stay you know in our in our real but not number one Ranked yeah. self, yeah. Uh, posture. We're so we're so humble, and we're so in t- we are so protective of other people. We don't want to scare them off. We're not even going to tell you where we are in the ranking. It's probably too high. What's really funny is I don't even know where we are at the, yeah, ra- the ranking. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why you guys, you guys need to rate and review us, please. Rate and review us. Subscribe on Substack, which is usefulidiots.substack.com. Subscribe to our YouTube, which is youtube.com slash usefulidiots. And just, you know, be spread the word. Like, spread the word. We don't have a lot of fancy stuff, contrary to the monologue that we just gave. Shifting gears. Um, shifting gears, making a different excuse. So um, we need you guys to, you know, we're the underdog. We are the little, the podcast that could. The podcast that suffered after it's made the bold request of having Assad as our third host. Right. So you need to show your support of not just us, but the entire Syrian regime <laughs> by spreading the word, spreading the word, spreading the word. And look, I, you know, I've got the useful idiots bump. Uh, who else? Bashar al-Assad, who Did won he? his election. Oh, right. Yeah. High 90s percent. I mean, he would have won anyway, but again, I think we probably put him up. You got we got him up right. really high. Yeah, and, and that you know, look, that's an organic turnout. I mean, yeah, yeah, very, there's, yeah. there's no very, question. No, no, no. Yeah. Very yeah. a lot of uh I mean to be fair, as as friend of show Aaron Mate pointed out, and God, we gotta get together we gotta get some 
you, uh, uh, Young Turks. Can we get Cenk and Anna on? I mean, yeah, I think we should invite them do, on. Do they? Do they? Do they have a particular beef with us now? I, I well, know. I mean, I'm sure because I had. Oh yeah, they do because I had Roger Waters on who had some choice words. Oh about right, them. okay. Um, but uh, called them the young fucks. Right. Uh, he's so funny. It's just unbelievable. They took down their video saying, "Fuck you, Aaron Mate. Fuck you with the finger," and they very very subtly had a segment on the Syrian elections because, you know, they always cover Syrian electoral politics, right? right? That's their lane, you know? I mean, it was the most obviously petty thing ever that they did a whole segment how on how lacking in integrity the uh, elections were in Syria. And it's, they didn't have, like the guests they had on have nothing. It was Anna Kasparian. Francesca Fiorentini and and two uh, people they just grabbed off the street one no one one guy uh-huh. and who was talking about like democracy and freedom and like it was just actually that would be a great idea for a segment for us I'm sorry to interrupt you oh yeah just non-experts asking yeah, non-expert. yeah like let's let's have let's get that professional looking set right first yeah. of all and then then we'll just grab people off the street and say, hey, do you want to talk about the Venezuelan elections on, on TV? Yeah, it was really kind of, it was really kind of striking. Um, and then there was another dig. I kind of can't. We should have the dig. You know, Jacobin has a podcast called The Dig. So we need like the dig, what, the ding or something or the dig 2.0, where we just keep track of different passive, like different um, digs that like left on left digs that happen. You need, then that's like the whole internet. You need like another internet just to just to yeah. house all that stuff. Yeah, to house it. Yeah, a warehouse. Right. Um, we yeah, tried to. We we actually tried to map it once. And it, I, did it, you lose it? Did you? No, find I, it I have it. I oh, have okay, it. great. Yeah. Yeah. So at some point we'll have to do the whole the segment where we map it all out because it's it's confusing at this point. Like, it is confusing. I, I, yeah. I can't keep track of who hates whom at this point. It's an exercise in petty that you don't see every day. Well, let's, let's um, just high road it for the moment and right. uh, yeah, and, and get sure. into the actual news yeah. of the week. I mean, hey, which is uh, almost as important as this. You're right. I mean, if, if we were going to if we were going to do it, we should we should yeah, do yeah. the whole the whole landscape. So, yeah, let's let's just get into it. Should we just get into it? Should we just yeah, do let's it? just get into it. So for the four food groups uh, begins with Republic uh, with Democrats, Democrats suck. suck. And <laughs> I don't even know how, how I'm going to read this story because there's so much in it that is not safe for work not safe for the internet but i think the way to to begin is just to read the daily mail story it's Uh, always that when in doubt read the daily mail story yeah so okay well why are we reading the daily mail because as usual when there's a story about democrats that's derogatory it's not in you know the other Right. Uh, outlets that you would rather be using. Yeah. So exactly. in the in the United States, this this particular story that I'm, I'm about to talk about, uh, you know, it, it came out in a few places. Let me guess. Right. Like Daily Examiner, Daily Caller. I mean, Washington Examiner, Daily Caller. The, the New York Post was the first one that right. I saw. Fox uh, Breitbart. Yes. The Daily Caller. And then the Daily Caller did a story about how, why you haven't heard about the story, right. um, which is actually becoming an interesting phenomenon which is the the story and then the story about how you didn't hear about that right. story that's yeah. that's that's like a new trope on, you cover that uh, yeah you i both, do yeah I, I do cover that i usually cover yeah. the, the part two more we should call they we can call that segment daily called out right right daily call out yeah all right exclusive hunter hunter biden uh addressed his white lawyer as a n-word multiple times used phrases like true true dat n-word and bantered i only love you because you're black in shocking text unearthed uh, days after joe's emotional tulsa speech decrying racism text messages obtained by the dailymail.com reveal hunter biden used the n-word multiple times and banter with his lawyer there's one conversation where he uh, is talking to corporate attorney george masiris who is white and says how much money do i owe you because n-word you better not be charging me hennessy rates then there's a whole exchange about his penis. We do a lot of penis content on this show. Yeah. So um let's go, let's let, go there. Let's, let's unzip. Let's let's just go uh straight there. All right. This is from December uh 2018, and the exchange this came from Hunter's laptop, by the way. 
allegedly. Where do you find conditional love then, George? Uh, George replies, God loves unconditionally. Bo loves you unconditionally. Children are too young to understand what it means, but you will show them. There are ideals of unconditional love that serve as proxies. I don't have many. You, God. Uh, and then Hunter replies, oh, my God. And where did you just uh, a fictional character from the imagination of the collective frightened and my dead brother's unconditional love is what I should rely on and my kids aren't children, George. That's a very confused sentence, but uh, then George replies, my parents' love was conditioned. And here comes the fun part. Hunter says, my penis as of late has been unconditional. He replies, that's why we are searching for my penis. And we will always be searching. It's a big, it's big penis, George. They always find it. And they only love you because you're black. Uh, it's so annoying when you interject with frivolity. True debt, N-word, uh, but I'm done my rant. The, the only other thing that is probably worse, worth uh, pointing out, there was a meme stored on uh, his computer that showed Joe Biden hugging Barack Obama. And if you scroll down there, Matt, you can see it. The meme says Obama, gonna, it's like an imagined dialogue. Gonna miss you, man. And Joe says, can I say it just this once? Obama, sigh, go ahead, <laughs> Joe, uh, you my N-word, Barack, right? Yeah. Uh, so, and okay, whatever. N-I-G-G-A, by the right, way. Yeah, so just, just, know, yeah. yeah, just, just, yeah, just so people know. Uh, but it's not like he wrote it. You know, he just had it on his... Yeah, he just had the meme, yeah. Yeah, but clearly he has an affection for the nomenclature there. Uh, yeah, what the hell? Like, I, I mean, part of me is like... I'm waiting for his defenders to say how woke and post-racial he is because he's using this word about white people. But clearly that's not what this is. Clearly it's really weird. Do you think he was on drugs when this Yeah, was no, this, this this screams I'm high and texting to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not as av I'm not as experienced as a, dr a drug user as you are, so I don't know. And no, you know, you say that about yourself. That's not a dig. So you probably have more insight into this, but is this giving you a vibe of like, what kind of drug is this giving you a vibe of? I'm thinking uppers. I'm thinking something oh, cocaine based, you know, right. could be crack. Right. He, has, yeah. he, has right, for that. That, he does have an affinity for that. Yeah. Right. Uh, he just, I mean, the, the, he's got that. Uh, he just really wants to talk about his, his, his dick and use bad language. And, yeah. you know, that that's the kind of stuff that comes out. Not right? just his dick. Like, oddly enough, like there's some like d deep, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I was not going to say deep dicking uh, until I, I just started saying deep and then it just it just popped up, so to speak. Uh, I feel like there are they, maybe they're speaking in code like the eagle has landed or something because like they interject some self-help like, you know, like right. deep, like deep, like deep thoughts about unconditional love. But maybe that's actually a metaphor for something sexual. <laughs> well, the, like, I mean, it starts off that way. The other guy starts off that way. And then yeah. within a couple of passage, uh, exchanges, Hunter's just like, it's a big dick. There, so they always find it. Right. You know, they, they're always looking and they're always going to find it. <laughs> what? The, but uh, the other guy has to be uh, on drugs too, right? I don't know. I don't think that's necessary. Like he could, he could just be like trying to. Why does he say the the there are ideals of unconditional love that serve as proxies? I don't have many. You God, so he's a religious man. The lawyer. Uh. You see that? Did that? Yeah. That no, quote? I see that. Yeah. So basically, did we set up this part that he started out by sexting by accident, right? Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So, so uh, this this starts out with Hunter, the, the lawyer saying, "Why are you so tan?" So there's some homoerotic undertones here. Well, right? there's a picture that isn't uploaded. We don't know what it is. Right. Oh, right, I, right. I, and I, maybe I, it's. Oh, so probably what happened. Sorry, I'm an idiot. I probably sent a nude. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking it's a. I think it's it's a nude of. Of a tanned you know. penis. <laughs> yes. Let's it's just say. Tick. Yeah. I think it's a. I think it's a BBD pick. What's that? Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah. And that's yeah. why the N-word is being thrown around. Mm -hmm. It's a BTD, Big Tan Dick. Um, <laughs> right. Oh, it's named Georgia, right? So the lawyer must be, yeah, okay, the lawyer's name is George, I'm assuming. Right, yeah. Sorry for sexing, sexting you accidentally. That was meant for another friend named Georgia. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. There's all kinds of interpretations we can have here. Look. I, Georgia I, on my mind. Is this a story? I don't I don't know. Like, 
if this if this were anybody else would it be a huge story probably this is yeah i mean yeah it's definitely like it's it's one of these stories that like we should have a thing like not important but 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 news yeah i mean that is really weird and dark i mean again i'm sorry for sexing you accidentally so so we have a an, a non-downloaded photo which sparked from the lawyer the response why are you so tan then hunter i'm sorry for sexing you accidentally that was meant for another friend named georgia and then from there this is i want to know if if right after that is that is that right yeah it is if they saw flows is the same conversation yeah it right it, it, if if he goes from there to there are ideals of unconditional love that serve as proxies i don't have many you god omg and g and i g g a did you just a fictional character from the imagination the collective frightened and my dead brother this is like a, a beat poem i think yeah i don't i don't know also, he misspells unconditional as two words. Yeah, unacceptable. Unacceptable, yeah. yeah unacceptable. Un unspace acceptable. The Hunter Biden thing is, it would be the gift that gives on, it keeps say, on giving. Keep on if, giving, yeah. If, if it were actually covered. It's become an interesting kind of test between the, the limits of intentionally avoiding a topic right. in, in the news. You yeah, know? and then it just makes it that much more forbidden fruit for me, for us, for the world. Right, right. Well, can uh, we, you know, I, I meant to bring this up last week. We didn't have time, but I think it's a good, you know, because he brings up his, you know, Biden statements on racism and stuff. So this is something that, you know, Biden last week commemorated the anniversary the of the Tulsa massacre, which is off. I mean, which is awful understatement of a lifetime. But um, speaking, speaking of undercovered, but yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but this he really Biden now, uh, if we could just look at this one video, uh, this is how he started off his speech about the very serious issue of like uh, racism, a race riot. Basically, there was an incident just really quickly reading at TulsaHistory.org. On the morning of May 30th, 1921, a young black man named Dick Rowland was, uh, Rowland was riding in the elevator in the Drexel building at 3rd and Main with a white woman named Sarah Page. The details of what followed very accounts of an incident circulated among the city's white community during the day and became more exaggerated with each telling. Tulsa police arrested Rowland the following day and began an investigation. Inflammatory report spurred a confrontation between black and white armed mobs around the courthouse where the sheriff and his men had barricaded the top floor to protect Rowland. Uh, shots were fired and the outnumbered African-Americans began retreating. In the early morning hours of June 1, 1921, Tulsa uh, Greenwood was looted and burned by white rioters. I mean, they basically burned down a whole neighborhood and like lots yeah. of people died, like a huge yeah. number of people died. Yeah, yeah, 300 people, they think. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it was a, it's called, you know, the Tulsa massacres. This is how Biden started his his speech commemorating that. And I got to make one check. Oh, this is the creepiness. Creepy. I mean, it's creepy plus ice cream, which I is often. I just to make sure the two girls got ice cream when this is over. <laughs> Imagine how excited you'd be when you're four, five, almost five years old, coming to hear a president speak. <laughs> my Lord, in my faith, we call that purgatory. So that's how he opens his major speech on racism. So, yeah. My, my my standard for him is if he's wearing pants for the event, yeah. like he's already done well, you know, so. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I should. Yeah. I should praise him for his baby. Yeah, let's not yeah. nitpick, you know, that's not nitpick. Yeah. I mean, anyway. the, th the thing where he was like, wow, you could pass for 19 with those barrettes or whatever it was. Yeah, <laughs> that that, was, that, that one was really yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah. So. Anyway, that's I mean, is that Democrats really sucking or is it just. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I Don't guess doubt so. yourself. I mean, okay. look, talk about faith. My my big thesis in, on the show is Matt's Catholic, cultural Catholicism, a lot of guilt. Mm. And so uh, speaking of faith and in your faith, we call that what guilt? Uh, yeah, questioning. Yeah. There's a lot of self-doubting. We got to get. There is self-flagellation. Yeah. We got to work on that, Matt.
Matt is the type of person who thinks that like we're imposing on people when we interview them as opposed <laughs> to like they want the public. I mean, you know, people like doing this when when they have books or when they have articles. People actually like going on shows. Yeah, anyway, maybe. Yep. See, uh, maybe. You see, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> anyway. So what do we have for Republican suck? OK, so for Republican suck, we have a heartwarming story about uh the texas governor so greg abbott um is moving to shut down shelters for unaccompanied migrant children he is attempting to revoke licenses for state child care facilities that shelter unaccompanied asylum seeking minors if successful children and teenagers would be forced to stay in immigration jails run by customs and border protection and unlicensed temporary facilities, which are overcrowded and not equipped to care for them. The Department of Health and Human Services, which oversees state the state's shelters, says they don't intend to close any centers as a result of Governor Abbott's order. Former Housing and Urban Development Secretary and San Antonio Mayor Julian Castro tweeted, this is a cruel political tantrum at the expense of children. Now, again, we don't know. I mean, that's 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 encouraging that uh, they're saying that they, they don't intend to close any centers, but this is definitely a good candidate for Republican suck. Because yeah. like, what kind of freak sadists are you? Well, this is this is very similar to the Trump. Uh, yes, it is, yeah. Thing, where essentially, did he say he was doing it as a deterrent? I don't actually, yeah, I was just wondering that, about that. I mean, this whole thing of deterrent through torture. And again, I did, you know, we brought up a couple of weeks ago how Bill Clinton himself introduced a way to, you know, an alleged deterrent that made it more deadly for for uh, for people to cross the border. So we should, you know, this is a somewhat bipartisan thing, but this is an area where the Republicans are are really our trailblazers. You know, they they go above and beyond. Like whereas with Obama, you know, to be like at least, you know, Clinton had the wherewithal to not kind of like tout that as an accomplishment right. right he did it and he has blood on his hands but as you you know as people point out obama's stuff you know there did result in separation but it wasn't official policy and so this again is just you're like saying the quiet parts out loud first of all it's sadistic policy and then you're actually you know trying to do it for political reasons to score points right and i wonder how much support this has because like who the hell could justify putting childcare facilities into jails. Well, if you look at the electoral map of Texas and how they voted in 2020, you see the most of the state uh, moved towards Trump between 2016 and 2020 and it was and he had the highest rates of uh changeover uh the, the closer you got to the border except in around El Paso. Uh, right, cuz that's like more of a progressive bastion. I, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. Uh but there's some unusual stuff in those numbers, but yeah, I'm just I, wondering I, if that's one of the things that they like about him. Like, I get the, I mean, I don't, I understand the appeal. I doesn't line with me. It's not going to happen. It didn't happen to like build that wall. That's one thing, but like, it's weird to, I, I mean, there's just something. And I even, again, these are horrible things and it's a horrible thing to also like separate children from their parents. But this is just like, I get. I mean, I would think the optics are bad, but obviously not. But locking up kids, locking them up. Anyway, I mean, I'm sure the Republicans are going to pitch it as, "Look, they're sending kids over here right. by you know, on a company." We got to send know, a message. We got to send a message. So, I mean, if you're sending kids unaccompanied, like it's things have gone far enough that I, I don't know. You, yeah, you probably don't need to put them in a jail by the time they get here. But I, I mean, I would say definitely. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's just like, but yeah. Anyway, so that's Republican sucking. Yeah. And that, again, that's that's kind of old school. Well, no, you know what? It isn't. No, that's, it's a, like, that's, yeah. that's the one issue where where it's not even the one issue. But that, they, this, this is one where like the Trump era Republicans have a lot of overlap with like the Strom Thurmond era re yeah. Republicans. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the energy is very, very similar on this yeah. issue. So, uh, all right, what do we have uh, for? Oh, it's me. This one's good, actually. And there you go again, the Catholicism, cultural Catholicism, actually, as if it's not usually good. <laughs> this story comes from Newsweek. 
The headline is Italian artist sells invisible sculpture for more than $18,000. It leads off like this. Uh, anything can be a work, work of art, even nothing. Italian artist Salvatore Garau recently auctioned an invisible sculpture for 15,000 euros or $18,300. According to AS.com, the sculpture's initial price was set between 6,000 and 9,000 euros. However, the price was raised after several, bi several bids were placed. Titled uh, Io Sono, uh, Italian for I Am, 67-year-old artist sculpture is immaterial, meaning that the sculpture does not actually exist. Though he's received much critique for the sale, Garau arg argues that his work of art isn't nothing, but is instead a, quote, vacuum. The vacuum is nothing more than a space full of energy, and even if we empty it and there is nothing left, according to the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, that nothing has a weight, Garau mm -hmm. said of the statue, according to AS.com. Therefore, it has energy that is condensed and transformed into particles, that is, into us. Uh, Italy 24 News reported that per Garau's instructions, the sculpture must be displayed in a private home free of any obstruction in an area that is about five feet uh, long by five feet wide. Because the piece does not exist, there are no special lighting or climate requirements. That's that's good because there's that yeah, not yeah. as much upkeep, right? Yeah. Uh, multiple outlets report the only tangible item the buyer will receive is, is a certificate of authentication that is both signed and stamped by Garau. You don't want but, any forgeries out there. Right, exactly. Like people could be walking around with a, a yeah. blank five by five space that it wasn't authored by this artist. Yeah. Uh, though this is the first immaterial sculpture Garau has sold, it is not the first of its kind he has created. Last month, Garau displayed another immaterial sculpture titled Buddha in Contemplation in the Piazza della oh, Scala in Milan, near the entrance to the Galleria d'Italia. Uh, Garab posted a video of the statue to his Instagram page. Yeah, and this is something we really, I would encourage if people are just listening to the podcast, you're going to want to watch this video so you can see the sculpture. Yeah, I can, I cannot see it, you know, I mean, I can, by which I mean, I can see it. So that's Buddha in contemplation. Yeah, and that's a good one because, you know, it's all impermanence. And if you look, if, if someone's ever like, where is the actual sculpture? You can be like, why are you attached? Why right. are you attached to an object that's just, imp you know, you got to mandala that shit. You got to like wipe it into the into the sea. And this is almost like it does it already. Save yeah. you some effort. Yeah. Uh, now it exists and will, and will remain in this space uh, forever, says the video. You do not see it, but it exists. It is made of air and spirit. The sculpture is meant to, quote, activate the viewer's imagination, a power that the artist says in the video exists within everyone. And I guess we could just go on and on with this. But um, there's okay. a screenshot of the artist. This, yeah. is, this is a person I admire. Yeah, very. Uh, how would you describe him? He has a kind of. Well, Keith, what's his name? Um, Keith Rolling Richards. Stone. Yeah, he's a kind of handsome put together. Keith Richards, like Keith Richards. What's his celebra celebrity math on this? Keith Richards meets what? Keith, Keith Richards. Richards meets Richard Gere maybe mm. meets uh very tawny nice skin tone yeah uh, i almost get an alan rickman thing for some reason maybe maybe alan rickman there's some oh and antonio banderas there antonio you go. banderas yeah and alan you get, rickman and but you got the tie-in folded arms thing I mean, he doesn't yeah. have a tie-on but that that's that's kind of a congressional kind of pose yeah but it's untied uh i right. mean the tie is probably there that's probably a vacuum right. of a tie <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. It exists in our imagination. Yeah. The energy has to be transferred into it. According to Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. Right. The tie is either uh, either is or is not in his collar. Uh, right. Depending on whether I'm, I don't I'm, remember I'm, how that works actually, but um, I'm just 100 percent for this. Like, of course, yeah. got, you know, he got somebody to buy this, so good for him. Right. Yeah. Not you only am I for this, that I want, I think we should start, I think we should have a, an $100 level sub stack membership Two. I'm going to say 200 or 150, maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to act fast because once we start offering this, people are going to outbid you. Why don't we have, let's offer people a bid. We're going to make a useful idiot sculpture. All right. <laughs> we got to, so we, so we should chalk off a piece of 
ground somewhere. Right. Yeah. Well, are no. You but be I want York people to be soon? able to. Yeah. Actually, we. Oh, we should. We should launch in New York. But then we're gonna. What we should do is, you can purchase it. And what here's why. Now you're gonna be like, why would we purchase yours when we could purchase that guy's? And here's why. It's gonna be a lot more affordable. And unlike his, you only. No, need, no, it won't. Well, it's gonna start out, Matt. We got to start out that way. All right. We got to hook people in, right? Remember, remember today. Today's show is really all about unintimidating people. We're gonna. Why would you buy ours and not theirs? Not his. I mean. Well, his subject is Buddha in contemplation. I think we should pick a different subject. Well, of course, you know? but but I'm t that one is is um installation piece that you can't move. Right. But we we're talking about our own. So we're gonna do two projects, okay? One is going to be one you can purchase. Right. And what's good about ours is, look, we got a lot of fans in New York City. How about, we understand how about, you don't how have about, the space. So it's going to be one foot by one foot. Space. <laughs> That's all you need to dedicate to, to it. Right, right, right. And that uh, makes it portable. And when you're traveling, it's easy. You you know, when you check, when you go through airport security. Just put it in like a cat your, box. Yeah, it fits in there. Yeah. I mean, be fra be delicate, be careful. I mean, you got to, you can't like, you, you got to care. It has to be a carry on. You can't make it, you know, you can't put it in the. Should we make it like. Oh, it's Kurt Loader, obviously. Kurt Loader. Kurt Loader. And Lo all right. Yeah. So we're going to have to make it a little. Well, no, we're going to do a Stonehenge style Kurt Loader. Like right. by Stonehenge, I mean, this is Spinal Tap. So it's a, it's a whatever. He's probably six feet, let's say. So he's a six inches. Mm -hmm. And it'll be Kurt Loader through the ages. And, and what's cool about our sculpture and, is that if you look at it from one angle, it's Kurt Loader in a cave painting. Mm. And if you look at it from another angle, it's Kurt Loader in uh, the Trotsky photo from which he was disappeared. Right. Yeah. Right. Actually, you, we, our sculpture has an Alexa feature where you get to say, Alexa, put Kurt Loader in wherever you want. And I'm, I guarantee you, he will show up that way. Right. So put Kurt Loader in the Reichstag in 1936 yeah. or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. Oh That's my God, wait, Kurt Loader, I, we just solved a major historical Mystery. Who blew up the Reichstag? Mm -hmm. Who set fire mm. to it? It was Kurt mm. Loder. Right. Look, Kurt, if you're at, I mean, if you're out there, you're obviously out there. If you're watching this, well, he could be time traveling right now, so he may not be out there. <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching this, when you watch this, which could be in a million years, but it, it's up, it's on you to deny it. And you guys, I think useful idiots fans, I want us to use the hashtag. Where were you, Kurt? Is that good? What should we do? Like, or maybe we look up how to say that in German. Because right. barring hearing from him, I'm going to be forced to assume he was behind the Reichstag fire. Right. And that's right. like a heavy, that's a heavy thing to have. And again, if people don't know this, this is because we discovered Kurt Loder is like totally ageless. And we like the way he looked in when he was doing MTV stuff, there's just, it just doesn't work. He's, he's too old. Somehow he looks the same way that he looked like 20 years ago. And also he looks like a thousand times older. It's very weird what happens. So should, 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 should it be like hashtag Loder did it, but in. In German. In, hashtag Loder hat es geschafft. Yeah. Geschafft. We'll, we'll ask our German speaking. We need a, a weekly challenge for our viewers. So this week we want the German word. You know how Germans have one word, right? So we need a couple things. We need the German word for it. It looks like it appears like he he did. He, he was behind the Reichstag fire. Oh, so it'd be like uh, loader guilt Reichstag appearance yeah. fire. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's let's anyway, get so we're going to sell them and, and give us ideas also. And we'll commission an artist to maybe do it. Well, do we want to do it with our bare hands? We probably should, right? Although no, we yeah. could be we could commission an artist. We'll commission a sculptor. But we are the creators of it. It's our I, vision. I think it should be us. I think it should okay. be like, yeah. you know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, if, if we're if we're going to sell we're this for that, for. Yeah. Fifty thousand dollars or yeah. more, you know. Yeah. Um, we will be accepting lower bids to start. Well, that's for up for discussion, Katie. Yeah. We're going to talk about that yeah. after the show. Off camera, yeah. But you know, it'll be it'll it'll have an important theme. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, In fact, give us who you think 
kneeling Biden. Maybe. Kneeling Biden, yeah. Crouching yeah. Biden. Crouching, crouching Biden. Hidden but, Harris. I like that. Yeah, literally. And that, that in fact, we're going to have a discussion about that. That's it. Oh, my God. It should be called Harris at the border. Harris at the, oh, right. Yeah, it'll be like a George Washington Valley Forge type thing. Because she hasn't been there, which is why it's right. invisible. That, that's why you have to use your imagination. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, isn't that weird? Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah. But also, yeah. isn't that a very uh, good business opportunity? It is one. Yeah, yeah. we'll have to, so we're, we're going to start selling those little squares with yeah. titles to them. Yeah. Um, all right. What do we have for Isn't That Terrible? So for Isn't That Terrible, we have a heartbreaking, yet kind of inspiring, one of those mixes, uh, story from Brazil. Brazilian wife cooks her husband's penis in frying in a frying pan after killing him in self-defense and slicing it off uh, when they argued about splitting up. Diane Cristina Rodriguez Machado, 33, was arrested by police in Sao Gonzalo. Her husband, Andre, was found in the Brazilian city, lifeless, naked, and mutilated. I think we have an idea for one of our sculptures, by the way. Officers said his wife cut off his penis and cooked it in soybean oil in a frying pan. The couple had been together for 10 years and shared two children together. Uh, officers were called to the couple's house, found the victim's lifeless, naked, and mutilated body. His, his wife had done it, uh, they believe, uh, it, it happened after the couple had argued about splitting up, splitting, hmm, severing, cutting it off, according to reports. The cops seized a kitchen knife from the scene, believed to be the one she used to kill her husband with, and subsequently dismember him. She's been uh, charged with murder and corpse desecration. Now, you know how I feel about corpse desecration being criminalized, but we'll get to that later. According to reports, the couple were together for 10 years, had been separated for two, but still continued to see each other on and off. They ran a pizzeria together. They got into a fight and Machado's lawyer says that he threatened her and she killed him in self-defense. Okay, that's the lawyer, what the lawyer says. Now Andre's sister, and there's always a lot of tension between sister-in-laws, sisters-in-law, uh, says the suspect killed her brother in revenge for him cheating on her. Uh, relatives have revealed that the couple constantly fought. Machado had even reported her husband to the police on one occasion. According to her lawyer, he did not accept the end of the relationship and said that if she could not be with him, she could not be with anyone. Uh, the lawyer says her client is remorseful and she that she returned that she turned herself in to police and the investigation is ongoing. So we will, of course, be bringing you more news about that. I think that, you know, look, in some ways, this is a terrible story. <laughs> what do you mean in some ways? Well, <laughs> we're, we're OK. She could have. Do I need to say what she could have done that would have made it worse in terms of order? If she cut it off first? Yeah. Yeah, that would have been for sure worse. That, now, that would have been terrible. <laughs> that oh, would have bumped this story up to terrible. You're right. Okay, uh, so this is like, is, isn't that almost terrible? That almost or, terrible? Or, is, or isn't this almost terrible for two reasons? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, because right. it's already terrible that she killed him. Yeah. But the fact that she... Cut off his penis penis and, and, and cooked it in soybean oil. It's, it was yeah, weird, weird the way they stressed oil. the soybean oil I mean, aspect look, of the story. I think that it's important while we look at the story to also discuss the danger. I mean, that's another, isn't that terrible? Because soybeans, there's a real problem. Soybeans are a problem. Like, I think, are soy, they? I think soy is like actually unhealthy. It's like kind of like, you know, muffins, people think muffins are unhealthy and they'll have a muffin instead of a donut. You should just be having the donut, Sam. You go into Dunkin' Donuts, you look at that spread of calories. You know, it's mm -hmm. lower in calories. The donut. Yeah. So this is an isn't that terrible slash teachable moment. And that mo teachable moment is when you're going to cut off your husband's penis and fry it. <laughs> Please don't use soybean oil. Please use olive oil, but not virgin uh, olive oil. Because you, did you know you're not supposed to cook with virgin? Why? Something about the way the chemicals, the free agents, the radicals or something. I don't know. Hmm. But you're supposed to use it as like, like on fresh food. You're, you're supposed to use it fresh. So use loose olive oil, promiscuous olive oil, not virgin olive oil. I just made a dad joke. But yeah, I mean, I think it's terrible. Now, if, if he, he did one of those, if I can't have you, no one can then that is a much more mitigating circumstance than catching him cheating. Okay. No, I mean, well, if I mean, that if is he was an abusive line. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I mean, 
Did, why did she fry it? Did she eat it? No, she sliced it up. I mean, I think honestly, maybe that was a healthy move. Like she, it was cathartic. You know, look, this all comes full circle. There, you know, I mentioned impermanence, letting go, attachment. You couldn't get more detached than this. I mean, he couldn't get more detached than this, but then she needed to do her own ritual. Right. So this is about healing. Radical self-care. Right. Sometimes radical self-care is a bath with Epsom salts. Sometimes it's, you know, a massage, meditation, and then sometimes it's it's chopped up, fried, dead husband penis. Right. Right. Hopefully it's less often that. Either way you slice it, guys. Any way you slice it. Wow. I was uh, was actually concerned that that was going to make an appearance that phrase during during the segment yeah yeah yeah. yeah. i mean that's terrible right is that too terrible to be am i doing that thing where it's like too terrible to be terrible no 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 all right this is um on brand for us yeah Yeah, although uh, right yeah it's it's fine it's fine yeah this i don't think they're gonna come after us Yeah. yeah and if they do it'll be after you i hope right yeah and they, get, they don't know where to find me. And I'll be armed with a knife and a frying pan and soybean oil. Right. Oh, God. Okay. So we're going to talk to um, Dennis Kucinich, who ran for president a couple of times and, and had some odd experiences uh, with the news media, then had a progression where he was credited uh, with sort of seeing the future because his platform was essentially basically adopted by the Democratic Party right. years after he was ridiculed. And then uh, now he's uh, writing a book. Uh, he's written a book about the beginning of his career, which is um, interesting because it's kind of a metaphor for lots of stuff that's going on in American politics today. So let's talk to Dennis Kucinich. Dennis Kucinich, welcome to Useful Idiots. Thank you, thank you so much for coming on. Really happy to talk to you. I know we already did, uh, had a discussion for my site, uh, but I thought it would be really useful to um, introduce our audience to some of the things that you're talking about in your, in your new book, The Division of Light and Power, um, which is about your history and uh, taking on uh, a utility uh, while you were in uh, pol- local politics in Cleveland. Just to start, though, for for people who don't know your history, which is like such an unusual history, at what age did you get into politics? How did you do it? And and what was your progression from there? Well, I guess you could say I started when I was passing out uh, leaflets for John F. Kennedy. Wow. And I was really moved by Kennedy because when and, you know, when he said in his inaugural, um, let the word go forth from this time and place that the torch has been passed to a, a new generation of Americans. I thought he was talking about me, of course, and and everyone who was in high school at that time. That was our generation. So, you know, we we uh, he inspired many of us to be involved. I began as a candidate for city council in uh, uh, in, in 1967. You were 21, ran, right? Oh, well, that was the second. I won the second race. I, I ran in 67. Uh-huh. I ran against an entrenched Democratic machine that had never been successfully challenged, even though the incumbent councilman, uh, Belinsky, had, had been found to have not filed his income tax returns, uh, he, he still won. And, and, and I learned from him, I'll tell you what I learned, by going door to door, I learned that John Belinsky stayed in office because he and his machine took care of people. This is the old politics. When people needed help, they were there. And so people would, stay with Belinsky. And so when I was able to finally, you know, defeat him two years later, uh, the lesson that I took was that you have to take care of people when they need help, you have to be there for them. And so uh, that was in 1969. uh, And that's basically, you know, the the marker year when my uh, elected official uh, service uh, began with with, uh, the November 69 election. And you were 23 when you won, right? Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, right. I was 23 when I won, and I—I I, I don't think I was much different than any other 23-year-old. I was caught up in, you know, it's a product of the 60s in many ways. But I saw the opportunity to go inside with my protest, uh, and and the Plain Dealer when they ran the first story about my candidacy, their headline was, "Protest with a guitar, 
not this candidate, 20 <laughs> years old. And uh, I mean, you know, the truth is I couldn't play a guitar. I wish I, I, I would have been able to do that, but. Well, you probably wouldn't have been able to afford one anyway. I mean, one of the themes of your book is, is that you, you grew up in like genuine poverty as a, as a young well, person. You right? know, yeah, I mean, in, to, in the sense that my parents never owned a home, we were renters. And, it, and the minute that my mom had another child, we had to find another place to live. And so, uh, and in some cases, you know, we, we had to keep moving. So by the time I was uh, 17, we lived in 21 different places, including a few cars. Right. Uh, and, and so we went through evictions and all kinds of things. Sometimes uh, the only uh, Caucasian family living in a, in a neighborhood of, of color. And even though my dad worked, he was never able to make enough money to keep things going for us. I mean, we're, we're always behind. We're always having trouble financially. And, and so I remember, as I recount in the book, my parents counting pennies on, on this white metal table. I could hear the pennies dropping. And I heard those pennies dropping throughout, not just the book, but throughout my life, which was a way, uh, you know, translating into the necessity of standing up for economic justice for people who are struggling. And, and that, that really is, was part of what really informed me, uh, not just as a public official, but from a moral standpoint, you know, the idea that you don't forget people just because, you know, you happen to be in a high position. Matter of fact, you have more responsibility to remember that. So, yeah, I mean, did we have tough times? Yeah. Now, little did I know that our experience would be repeated in more modern times by so many American families. So what that's developed in me, uh, Matt and Katie, has been a, uh, uh, an informed and very deep sense of compassion about what people go through. Your book is fascinating because it, it, as soon as you get to the city council, actually, even before you get there, you get this incredible education as to how bent the system is. You even talk about how when you win, the only way you win is you have this enormous six foot six guy rip the door off the uh, poll counting center because they were doing some creative counting of votes. Uh, they, they had ejected your poll watchers. Then you get to the city council and it's like one person after another is coming to you and basically telling you how things work. Like you got to vote right and then you yeah. get stuff in return. Can you talk a little bit about how that worked? Yeah, I, I first want to uh, uh, pay homage to my dear and departed friend, uh, Scott Sikorsky, mm -hmm. who was an all-state basketball player uh, and, and a football player. But even more importantly, he was the person who when the polling officials who were appointed by the ward machine uh, understood they were behind in the count. Because we found out that from somebody calling the councilman's office and they were very upset. They said, we're losing, right? The, the numbers weren't posted yet. They knew they were losing. They sealed off the polling place, put lunch tables over the windows. This was in the basement of St. Augustine's church, barricaded the door, we called the police. My campaign uh, assistant, Scott Sikorsky, went over there with the Board of Elections and the police. Police, boom, 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 open up in the name of the Board of Elections. Boom, 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 open up in the name of the police. No response. They looked at Scott, very big guy, like a predecessor of the Hulk. <laughs> Can they help us out? He literally grabbed the door and ripped it off the hinges. They went downstairs impounded the ballot, took it downtown, and I won by 16 votes in a recount. Wow. And so I, I have a picture of Scott in, yeah. in the book. Uh, but, you know, when I got to council to go into that phase, yeah, I mean, most of the people were old enough to be my grandparents. And they were looking at me, I guess, as the ghost of Christmas to come. And they, uh, you know, many of them were very nice, but they were saying, you know, there's a lot of opportunities here, kid. You got to play ball, though. And you know, and I was thinking, I'm, I'm making $12,500 a year as a councilman. I'm in, I'm in high, high cotton here. I'm in the happiest I've ever been. And you know what? I soon learned that this clubby atmosphere was conducive to people just taking care of each other and forgetting who the heck sent them to the council. Why, why do you think you were able to withstand that pressure, not give into that pressure and that like peer pressure and the culture of quote unquote voting right 
you know, in exchange for political and, and financial favors? You know, Katie, the way I grew up, we didn't depend on anything material. I mean, matter of fact, the roof over our head could disappear at any day. And I remember getting evicted once and our stuff was being carried down to a curb on St. Clair Avenue and people were walking by it like they're they're picking through rags and, you know, seeing if there's anything they could take of our stuff. And so I never relied on materiality. So when I got to city council, people were saying, well, you can get this and that's like, well, I don't care. You know, I, what does it matter to me that I can find a way to make more money? I'm not motivated by that. And the other thing is, I suppose I have to give some credit. Um, you know, I had a, a, a Catholic education and during that education, it wasn't so much the catechetical aspects of Catholicism, but it was really not, not being so tied to the material world. I mean, if you look at the Chaucer's Canterbury Tales and you go to uh, uh, Prioress's tale, uh, the Prioress, I, I believe she wore a medallion which says, Rodex malorum escupiditas, money is the root of all evil. And there was some of that there, really. I mean, there was some of a real disconnection from the material world to where I didn't even like people with money. It was like, <laughs> I just felt like, wait a minute, I'm not connected to that. Uh, you, you know, the other thing about, you know, being taught in the scriptures that it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich yeah. person to get to heaven. You can understand that people who are mired in materiality have trouble connecting with spiritual principles. And so, you know, this, and the other thing is the doctrine in Catholicism, and this is very important to me. If you look at the doctrine of, uh, of transubstantiation, it's about, it's about spirit infusing matter, okay? And the only way matter becomes sanctified is if you, you know, put spiritual values into it. I believe that. So if it's devoid of spiritual values, and it's just about materiality for the sake of materiality. I wasn't interested in that. So, you know, my, my, my religious education had a real strong bearing on the decisions uh, that I made in life before I got into politics. And I didn't check them at the door when I got in, when I, when I walked into city council or this mayor's office or, you know, any other office I held. It's funny because of course the Canterbury Tales has a lot of characters in it, you know, uh, really critiques the, the corruption of the official of, of the church. But of course, you know, that those things are often the institutions don't re reflect the core tenets of and values. So Katie, let me tell you, I mean, you've nailed that, but, but let's, let's uh, uh, you know, let's reflect on that as to modern day. Uh, then, uh, you know, the criticism was the church selling indulgences, you right. know, the partner's tale, but today, the indulgences come from corporations. We bless you, you know, my son, for two year for a two year term, uh, and you'll right. get uh, two years of indulgence from we, the corporate interest, as long as you follow our uh, prescriptions. I mean, that's that's why. I mean, it, you can look in literature; you can find some relevance to everything because all of human experience has uh, some relationship to what happened. Uh, uh, experience today has some relationship to what happened in the past. Not to get too deep on this, but this is a profound kind of Shakespearean story, right? About the corruption of people and the influence of power on the human soul and all of that. I mean, this it, it, the book is built around this one story about this utility uh, that Cleveland had called Muni Light. The city owned it and it provided cheap electricity to, to the residents. And it was th this sort of Empire Strikes Back Imperial Force Utility CEI is trying to take it over. Can you, can you tell the story about what your role was in this whole fight and what they were trying to do? Well, CEI had an almost military-like strategy that they were executing against the public power system. Part of it was corporate espionage. Another part was corporate sabotage. Another was using the media. I mean, so it was really, and they had people who work for them, who served our country, you know, and ought to be credited with that. But, you know, they also had uh, skills at, at interdiction, at, at subterfuge, and they used those skills in business. So how did that relate to Muni Light? Well, they had a long standing plan, which the city didn't know about to take over Muni Light. I was, I was given a document when I 
early in council about one of their plans was to subvert the media. But what I saw happening with my own eyes was they're lobbying city council not to make repairs to the system that would keep Munilite self-sufficient in terms of energy generation. I saw that. I then learned that they had this plan. Uh, it, it was really a vicious takeover plan, which they got the council to approve. And, and, and they sold the system for a fraction of what it was worth every step of the way. And I recount this in the book. I, I was asking questions like, why are you doing this? This system's making money. Why are you selling it? It offers competition. It's providing electricity at 20% savings. Why in the world are you, you, you're pushing this sale? I would ask my colleague. Sometimes I didn't even know. And so, but, but the influence that the utilities had and their law firms was extraordinary because they had the power of the media helping to reshape the, uh, the social environment. And so with this heavy, heavily mediated environment saying, ah, oh, this municipal power system isn't worth anything. And the private utility chipping away at the ability of the system to create its own power. And when the city couldn't make its own power, wanted to go outside for power, they were blocked by the Cleveland Electric Illuminating Company. Which and is so, illegal too, right? Well, yeah, but you know, Cleveland, a law didn't matter then. So, <laughs> so you, go, you then go to the Cleveland Electric Illuminating Company and you have to, your city's forced to buy power from them. So they tripled the rates to the city so the city would run a deficit, you know, in its uh, uh, power for the, for the municipal power company. Uh, I, I mean, but, but even beyond that, what, what I found out when the antitrust investigation was made of the Cleveland Electric Illuminating Company preliminary to them, them being granted a license to operate nuclear power plants, during that investigation, we learned, I say we because, you know, there were other people who figured this out, that CEI was creating blackouts on the Muni system, including, we presume, the blackout that I, that I walked into at the beginning of the book. And so just lights, before Christmas, right? Yeah. The lights keep going out. People saying, why are the lights going out? And then after a while, you have holiday blackouts and people get very upset. And they say, well, the heck with Muni Light, it doesn't work. It's, it's not reliable. CEI salesmen go into those neighborhoods already, just like that. Go into the neighborhoods with contracts saying, get an electric system with works, which works, come with us. And so people signed up, Muni Light began to lose customers. They also gave people free wiring. I mean, this, this story is a story of, of corruption that was so deep between the private sector, the public sector, the media, the banks on every level. And I felt in some ways like, you know, Dr. Stockman in, in Ibsen's Enemy of the People, where, you know, I'm looking at, at, at the town's baths being polluted and just raising that question. It's like, well, you're not a you're not really very good for this town because you're questioning this. This story out of Cleveland becomes relevant, uh, Matt and Katie, because right now, as the COVID money disappears, American Rescue Plan money disappears, cities are going to be pressed to keep programs going. And I can promise you they will go immediately to looking at privatization. And there, you, you, I can, I, you can bet money that there are people, that there are monopolies right now that are looking at how they can get their hooks into one city after another to force the privatization of their uh, municipal uh, utilities. So, you know, the book arrives at, a, at the perfect time to challenge that ethic. And, uh, you know, there are members of Congress who are looking now at propagating public power uh, using the power of the federal government. Yeah, the, 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 book, the book has achieved uh, greater importance than I could have ever imagined uh, when I was toiling away these low, these many decades to try to get the story together. It seems to me like the message of this book is very relevant to the, to the present because it's, it describes a pattern that's just constant in American politics, which is you have a, a system that's corrupt at every level. It works to undermine the independence of municipalities, localities, they end up in debt. And then, it's, and then the moment they start owing is when, is when they start to lose. And then it, what, what ends up happening is they end up giving, over, giving themselves over, you know, politically, financially, and in all other ways 
to some monopolistic type group that charges even even more uh, than than before, and it's like a, it's a racket, basically, right? It's it's hundred percent, yeah. And uh, and so this is this is the kind of thing that's you know I I first came across it with the Chicago parking meter story, right? So right. you have a you know a municipality is going bankrupt, so they start selling stuff off, but they end up worse off, you know, with each step, Imagine. don't they? And so that's gonna that's gonna repeat itself. Uh, is what is what you're saying with the end of the CARES well, Act money? It will and and the other side of it is uh, represented by a conversation I had with uh, some activists in Virginia. Uh, they're trying to uh, create a public version uh, that would challenge the grip that Dominion has. Uh, interesting name for a utility, right? You know, yeah, going back to indulgences, right? Yeah, hello. And uh, they want to challenge that and set up their own utility. And we're talking about the, the, the blowback, the pressures that come from that. I mean, look, look at it, it. First of all, it's impossible to run a utility and lose money. And, and it, utilities are, are extremely profitable as long as the people who run them know what they're doing. You know, using Lord Acton's aphorism about power corrupts and absolute power corrupts um, uh, absolutely and applying it to the utility monopoly business, the more power some a utility has the more uh, uh, they can corrupt the system. I, in the book, um, uh, Division of Light and Power, I, I quote the mayor in, of Cleveland who created the system. His name was Tom L. Johnson. And, and he, he ought to not just be un, understood. He, he, should, he should be taught. He wrote a book called My Story, which was about his battle <clears throat> with the utilities 118 years ago. In a book published in 1911, he wrote, uh, I believe in uh, public ownership of all public service facilities, because if you do not own them, they will in time own you. They will uh, corrupt your, they will rule your politics, corrupt your institutions, and finally destroy your liberties. So Mayor Johnson said this over a hundred years ago, and he was uh, a mayor who Lincoln Steffens in his uh, work, Shame of Cities, described as the best mayor of the best governed city in America. This was, uh, uh, you know, 116 years ago. You know, and it's relevant today. Uh, the philosophy is relevant today. If you don't own them, they'll own you. We got a scoop. Which Never one? before shared stories about Dennis Kucinich's musical background. <laughs> he's really cool. He really is. Like he's Dennis is like he's amazing. one of the most interesting people so interesting. I've met in politics. I uh, I don't know. I've probably told you the story, right? That they the the nation sent me to cover him in two thousand three, mm -hmm. and um, I was like just sort of tagging along you know with him in new hampshire he was so different from any politician that i'd ever seen like he he had he had this this uh knapsack that was like packed full of books and and in between events he would go find like some place that was far away from everybody and sit down and he would just read yeah he was reading and underlying stuff in books yeah um and he, and he you know he he Took, took a lot of heat for a lot of positions that are, are you know, now just sort of conventional yeah. wisdom. So yeah. he was, the uh, book's really interesting. Amazing. So yeah. um, that was interesting. All this, all this stuff about theater and music. I didn't yeah. even know about that. Stuff, I know. So. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. yeah. He's so like, you can, he's just like, I think he has some kind of genius to him. Yeah. You well, know? he's very, he's extremely versatile, uh, like exhaustive thinking, I would yeah. say. Yeah. yeah. And also, but different kinds of like talents. Right. Right. And he played football. You should see the pictures of the book of, of him when he was a four foot eleven quarterback for his high school football team. He actually it's like, stood on someone else's shoulders. It's I mean the, the pictures are amazing. It's yeah, uh, yeah he's like a, a small white Paul Robeson. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there was there was strong Rudy energy in there. I mean the movie Rudy, not Giuliani. Not, Rudy, yeah. not Giuliani. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um anyway. Wanna, that, can you show me the photo of his friend of the uh the guy who knocked down the door? This is that Scott's a wow. person, but the and that's Dennis, by the way, in a city council. He yeah. looks like he's eight. Yeah. Uh, and 
this is him. Where's Walt? Where's Dennis? You know what we're going to have to do? I think we should make a Dennis sculpture. A Dennis sculpture? Oh, Dennis in contemplation? Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a good one. All right. Thanks very much for uh, for watching this week and, uh, and and or listening. Yeah. You should check out his book, The Division of Light and Power. Yeah. Which um, you can get. You can follow him on Twitter if you're on the Twitters uh, at just Dennis underscore Kucinich. And that is D-E-N-N-I-S underscore K-U-C-I-N-I-C-H. And his book, um, you can find his book at Finney Avenue Books. And you spell that FinneyAvenueBooks.com. That's F-I-N-N-E-Y. And I think people know this, but, you know, uh, Dennis Kucinich ran for president. And he was, of course, a, a congressman in Ohio. And right. a very unique politician, very ahead of his time. The Washington uh, Post two years ago said that he was uh, the future of American politics. Wow. Uh, yeah, they, they, they sort of did a... An apologia of basically saying we're yeah we were sorry we laughed right. at him all those years uh yeah. so and, and also he as i and I, we when we interviewed him last time he survived some uh assassination attempts over this issue actually yeah it was, it was yeah. over the the power company issue yeah uh, so very interesting book division of light and power um interesting guy and thanks again for tuning in yeah, also you. if you want to check out the i reviewed this on my site tybee.substack.com got into some more of the details of of it please take a look there as well yeah anyway thanks so much folks we'll see you again next week okay. thank you guys so much for watching uh useful idiots for listening to useful idiots please rain review useful idiots on itunes please subscribe on um substack that's usefulidiots.substack.com uh please subscribe to our youtube at uh, youtube.com useful idiots and of course you can become paying members of uh substack and you're really really going to want to do that for many reasons i mean if you're not already a, a paying supporter you're going to want to be because we got some real gems from Sagar and Jetty and Crystal Ball, some real, uh, they poured quite a bit of tea as the children, as the kids are saying <laughs> these days, got some real inside scoops, inside gossip, uh, got a really great interview with Aaron Mate, who's, you know, while he was in Syria, which is a pretty big deal. He's getting a lot of heat for that. Also, you can listen to our very um, kind of like gossipy petty but i would argue important um commentary on anna kasparian and jank uger's uh uh discourse around um aaron mate which again involves some cursing uh on this week's substack only uh we share with you some never before discussed stories well i should say dennis kucinich shares with us some never before uh shared stories about um his uh artistic uh musical theater affinity and endeavors uh, he influences talks, influences yeah he also talks to us about his uh spiritual background and uh, we have a really interesting discussion about that so honestly, so much more so much more so if you're not honestly if you're not a Substack uh supporter of the show you got to look at yourself and say what what is it in my life what am i like look coming full circle again and again math catholicism right what is what am i doing to punish myself <laughs> why am I depriving myself of this? What kind of forgiveness do I need to practice? Right? That's right. Yeah. So, you, you need to take care. You need to self -care. practice radical self radical spiritual self -care. care. Yeah. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.